thank you once again to the design team for their, um, for their work on this dream that we have to, uh, to see new features and to see a, a remodel of areas of this building that keep it useful. And uh, I hope you read the report. They, they bothered to give us a report on the, um, on the bulletin this week. And I know this, this came up in some of the Talk It Up sessions, and it's the thing that, that maybe makes us a little bit nervous, is that when you're building stuff up, the fact is sometimes you're going to have to tear a few things down. And that means that things are going to be shut off. That means that things are going to be inaccessible. It means there's going to be a mess, right? If you've ever done any kind of remodeling, there's always a bit of a mess, Well, that's true of God's building project as well. There are some things that need to be torn down and torn up. I've got my own little building projects that I do at my house, and yesterday I was out at the landfill because I finally got rid of the last bit of rubble that was just torn up and just contaminated stuff that needed to be thrown out. What do you do with that stuff? Well, you have to get rid of it. You have to get it out of the way so that the new can be brought in. This is true of God's building project as well. And by the way, every time that we're talking about this design project, I want you to know that there's another building project going on that's been going on for centuries. And you and I are a part of that remodel or that reconstruction as well. And when we get to the end of chapter 2 in Ephesians, You have a great description of what that looks like. So why don't you, if you you want to read with me, I'm going to read part of, uh, what's really, it's the last half of chapter 2 of Ephesians. And you're going to hear him use the language of tearing down and building up, okay? So as we read through that, zero in on that. Let's, Let's pray before we read God's Word together. Father, I pray that you would open up our hearts and open up our minds Your word shapes us. It gives us meaning. It gives us purpose. I pray that we will take in every word here, every word spoken, every word read, every word preached. I pray that it all accomplishes your purposes so that we might be built up into your people, so that we might fulfill your purposes. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So you pick up in chapter 2, verse 14. For Christ is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances so that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace. And he might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. 
In Him, the whole structure is joined together, fit together, and it grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together in the Spirit into a dwelling place for God's Spirit. The first thing you see here is is that God's got a plan for remodeling. God's got a plan for construction. And And the beginning, the key to all of that is Christ. Christ is is described as two things in this passage. First of all, he's described as the peace. This is not peace as a calm feeling. Peace, I'm feeling peaceful. Yeah, I've got a little bit of peace right now. We're talking about something far more serious than that. This is peace as uh, as in world peace, as in the end of hostility. This is God's shalom, to use the old Hebrew word. Paul is saying that Christ is that peace. And then look at how many times peace keeps coming up in this. Something is being torn down and replaced by peace. What's being torn down? Hostility. And I know that in English it's ambiguous there. It says that he has torn down the dividing wall, verse 14. That is the hostility between us. Now, is he talking about the hostility between us and God, or is he talking about the hostility towards one another? Well, let's do like they do today. Let's take a poll. How many of you think he's talking about the hostility between us and God? Okay, go ahead and raise your hand. You're being very shy and timid. You know, I see, I see this. Maybe because I don't want to be wrong. Okay, go ahead and raise your hand if you think he's talking about us and God. Go ahead. How many of you think he's talking about the hostility between all of us? Between us, one another. There you go, you're still timid. Guess what? You're all right. Because uh, it's both. Why do we have to choose? If you break down that there, now, now, now we have the shepherd coming at the last minute. Oh, well, okay, if I'm right. We're, gonna, you know, we're raising our hands. That's good. That's good. You can't get that one wrong. Wasn't that great? Why did I put you to a test you can't get wrong? Because I want you to pay attention to this. I'm trying to make the point. Do you see that God is serious about the business of building up peace? If he breaks down the hostility between us and him, then don't you think he wants that hostility between us to be torn down as well? I mean, look at the parables. Look at the parables, and and there's the man who's forgiven of a great debt in Matthew 18. The master forgives him of a debt that he could never hope to repay. And then he goes out and demands a a small payment from somebody who owes him a debt. That's an insult to the master's grace. Christ is the peace. Verse 14 and verse 17 covers it both. He proclaimed peace to you who were far off and those who were very near. In other words, there's two kinds of people here. There's the outsiders, there's the insiders. There's the hometown folks and there's the folks from far away. But guess what? That dividing wall is being torn down. The wall of hostility. And dividing wall is just so simple. What you see in Ephesians is he's talking about the wall of the dividing uh, wall. It's it's, It's being emphasized that this wall has stood between us and God and between one another for too long, and God is going to tear it down. And the way he's going to do that in Christ is he's redefining humanity. We're no longer going to be defined by those things that make us different, but we're going to be defined by Jesus Christ. And we're all going to be one in that. 
Now, here's the good news is that when you tear down that wall, guess what you get in its place? You get something new. You get a path. And Christ is that path. Look at, look at verse 18. In verse 18, uh, we are told, through Christ, both of us, meaning the folks far off and the folks near, the Gentiles, the Jews, you put whatever both of us categories you want in there, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. Did you just see the Trinity show up there? The Father, did you hear what Barry said during the communion? Is that that language changes. Christ goes from talking about the Father to talking about God. Um, you know, a less personal form of address. We have access, we have a path to the Father through Jesus Christ. The same Spirit. It's all there. You and I brought together by this Trinity of God in all of His forms, in all of the ways that we relate to Him and know Him. All the people far and near now have this same path to the Father in one spirit. So you hear today that you know, people will say things about paths. They'll say, there are many paths to God. Okay. And that gets some people upset when you say that. There's many paths to God. No, there's not. There's only one true path. And then, of course, the people who are saying that there's many paths, what they're trying to say is they're trying to say that God's got a lot of different ways of getting people to come to him. Well, let me, let me just tear all that down and try to build something up a little bit better because usually that talk about many paths to God leads to everybody accusing everybody else of being haters and being exclusive. And that's not what God wants. There's one path, okay? There's one path. That path, that way to God is Jesus Christ. That's it. There doesn't need to be more paths. There doesn't have to be other paths. But here's the good news. Nobody is excluded from that path. You don't have have to prove that you're worthy to be on that path because what he's saying is he's saying everybody, the ones far off and the ones who are near, All of the different types are given the one spirit to come to the Father. So it's exclusive in the sense that Jesus Christ is the way to the Father, but it's not exclusive in the sense that all are invited to come to Jesus Christ. That's God's plan. And that creates peace. Now, if Christ is the peace, if he is the plan, what are we? Look at verse 19. It's a very strong statement. In verse 19, by the way, that's why you and I don't have to pretend to be something that we're not to gain access to the Father. Because whatever you show up with, God's going to change your identity card. It's like, um, yeah, I encourage everybody, go to college, get your degree. I mean, I think that's a good thing. But everybody I ever know who's, uh, who's gotten that degree, they, they go off to work for someone and they tell them, look, what do you, you got a degree? Okay, yeah, what is your degree? Doesn't matter what your degree is. We're going we're gonna to turn you into what we want you to be. So I often use my brother-in-law as an example. He, he works, he works for, for one of the big chicken companies here. He's a manager. He's, uh, he's been in that for a long time. He knows what he's doing. He's got his undergraduate training in geography. So he makes maps for the chicken company. I mean, you know, the, uh, they took his degree. They said, that's fine, you got a degree. Listen, we're going to train you what you want you to be. 
Maybe that little example can help us understand, because you've seen examples of that, that whatever you, whoever you are when you show up, God's going to say, yeah, yeah, I, I really don't care, because I'm going to erase the things that you are no longer that, and now you are this. God's going to give us the identity because of Christ. So, verse 19, very strongly, he says, you are no longer strangers, outsiders. You are citizens, co-citizens, fellow citizens with the holy ones, the saints, and your members of the household of God. Our status changed when we got on the path. Our status changed when Christ tore down the dividing wall. Those those words that are used for strangers and aliens. We hear that word a lot with, with discussions of immigration. And it does have to do with people's national identity. And you've got people who are the, the outsiders. You, you've heard of the word xenophobia, fear of the stranger. Well, this is that word, that outsider, who we might tend to fear. But those distinctions are gone. You're no longer that outsider, that stranger who doesn't belong. And we're no longer transients. We're no longer people who are wandering around. You might even use the term, it might be a fair translation for us to understand it, a refugee. People who have no homeland. You know, right here in this town, over the last few decades, we have welcomed and shown hospitality to people who have been run out of their homeland. They have been thrust into this country because they were refugees, because their homeland turned hostile, and they needed a place to stay, and so we welcomed them in. He's saying that in the household of God, that's not you. That's not you. You're not a wanderer without a homeland, but you belong. Okay, if that's who we no longer are, then who are we? Rather, you are fellow citizens. When Paul's writing Ephesians, he likes that word fellow or with. Look at how many times he uses the word with. And he'll work it into his words, you know, with Christ, with one another. God did this to you with Christ, along with Christ. He raises Christ from the dead. He seats Christ in the heavenly places. And then in chapter 2, he says, he raises us with Christ. He seats us with Christ. There's a lot of that going on in Ephesians. Well, those holy ones, those saints... They're not an elect, elite class, okay? Sometimes I think we get the idea of saints, and we think that that's first-class Christianity. You know, the, uh, Jerry Seinfeld talks about how we, uh, we get on the plane, you know, and you've got the little curtain that divides the first-class people from the people in the back of the plane, and the waitress, or the, the waitress, the stewardess always has that condescending attitude when she's closing the curtain, like she looks at you and closes it, like, if you'd worked harder, you could be up here. And, uh, and we have so many of those little boundaries and barriers. And now, you know, you've got credit cards that make you more elite than somebody else. I'm elite status. I'm gold status. I'm platinum status. And you just keep moving up. And meanwhile, the people giving you those credit cards are laughing all the way to the bank because they've got more colors to bring out later on to make you more special. But we have all of these different classifications. And we tend to think in church that the saints are the special super-Christians. That those are the ones, who, those are the ones who, who really matter. The rest of us are just kind of spectators. We're just, we're just average. We're just C-minus Christians. It doesn't happen. There's no such thing in Scripture. 
You've got the saints, the ones who are made holy. That's what the word is all about. You've got the saints. And, and, and the saints are, are who are, well, you, I, I want to take you on a quick tour through a few verses, okay? And you can write this down. In 2.5, we are the saved. In chapter 2, verse 8, we are the delivered. In chapter 2, verse 10, we are the work that he created. We're the co-citizens with the saints. We are the fellow citizens. That's like the phrase, my fellow Americans. In other words, we're all one. My fellow saints. That's who you are. You, you belong in that crowd. And, and here's the thing, too. The other part of that, the other word is you're, you're fellow citizens with the saints, and then the other part is you are part of the household of God. You belong. You belong. You've got family. You belong to this household. And, and he wants us to know that because of that peace, because of that path, this is where you belong. Now, I'm going to say that to you now. And you hear that in the sermon. And that sounds like good sermon talk. What do I need to say? What can I do so that that becomes your identity? Because you're going to have to catch yourself, but more importantly, you're going to have to catch your friends. You're going to have to catch one another because you're going to say things like, you know, sometimes I just feel like I don't belong in God's family. Sometimes I feel like I don't have a purpose anymore in God's family. Sometimes I feel like I have nothing to offer. Go back to the Bible. Go back to the text. Who are you? Your household of God. You belong here. You've got a purpose if you belong here. You're one of the fellow saints. You belong. You've been brought in. And that business of being a stranger and an outsider, that's not you anymore. So when we talk about this, and I understand that you feel that way. And I, I feel that way sometimes myself. But when we feel that way, you can feel it, but it's not true. I'm just going to remind you that, you know, that may have been who you are, but that's not who you are now. Not in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're no longer that. You are saints and part of the household. Now, by the way, about that household, let's talk about that household for a second. Because that's what Paul does. He mentions that household of God, and then he gets into the building project. Did you see it right there, right around verse 20? Uh, He's already told us who we are And chapter 2, by the way, has all of that. Yeah, this is who you are. This is who we are. And he mentioned that household of God at the end of verse 19. And then in verse 20, he can't help but bring up the building project. The household of God. Yeah, the house. That house that has been built upon the foundation. Here's what he says. That house that has been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. It's built upon something. That's what you see in verse 20. There's a foundation there, something to build upon. The foundation is the apostles and the prophets. Now, I don't want to carry this analogy too far where, you know, this is this. It's it's the idea that the message of what the, the apostles and the prophets were saying, which also goes back to that talk of the two people becoming one, we tend to associate the apostles with Christianity because they were the ones who were sent out to preach and proclaim to the people far off that God loves them and has brought them into his household. And the prophets were those who were sent 
to the people who are very near to share God's word. You've got two traditions, but they're brought together. It's the same message. That message is the prerequisite. That's foundational. That's what God is building on. And to set it all up and to set it all true, Christ is the cornerstone. That cornerstone is your, or your capstone is the stone that keys everything else in, makes everything just right and true and lines everything up. Well, that's Christ. But we don't stop there because not only is Christ that which sets it all up to be built on that foundation, but Christ is that which fits it all together. You might say that Christ is not only the cornerstone, he's also the mortar. But not just the mortar, he's also the builder. He's also the plan. This word that you read there in in verse 21, Paul is inventing words in Ephesians because he can do that. He can put together words based on what he knows about Christ and, and the, there are words that would make sense. We invent, we invent words and coin terms all the time because we have new realities that you have to describe what these things are. Uh, an app. Fifty years ago, would you have known what an app was? You would have called it an application. How about boot up? Uh, you know, reboot. I mean, you know what that means technically, and you know what that means figuratively. We invent terms to describe new realities. In Ephesians, Paul is using terms that describe this new reality. This new reality is that now with Christ, all of these things that were divided, all of us who were divided, all of our distinctions get brought together and fit together. We thought, hey, those pieces don't fit. But in Christ, it gets welded together. It gets bonded together. And what happens is we grow into a temple. And we grow into a dwelling place, a place where God's Spirit is active. The church is not just some institution that exists in this world. Because if it is, it's going to go away with this world when God brings in the final phase of reconstruction. The church... Is his, are his people, we are that place where his spirit dwells and is active. So yeah, we have our structures that we, where we meet and do things and do his work, but between you and I, in our fellowship, in our one another time, in, in our relationships, God's spirit is dwelling there and doing things, doing his work. Okay, that's Ephesians 2 there. You've got your Bible study, and if that's all you came for today, then I guess we're done. But this means something, doesn't it? So what does it mean? Here's what it means. It means something, because, I mean, you know, we can be all Bible study and theological and theoretical, but I want to be practical, too. First thing I want you to know is this, and this is what we'll take away from this. Because I think, by the, by the way, I think that that last section of chapter 2 is so meaningful to us right now. I mean, as we're going through a building remodel program, we're also thinking about how we are built and how we grow into the temple of God. We've got the opportunity, get this, we've got the opportunity as we get into this, that with every light that's changed, every beam that's redirected, with every um, 
plaster wall, every little piece that's redone in here, we've got the opportunity to turn that into a spiritual exercise and to say, you know, I see that deconstruction and construction going on. What has God torn down among us and what is he building up among us? We have the opportunity to do that. Here's your, here's your takeaway on that. First of all, God does not respect our divisions. When you read this passage, you begin to realize that God is not going to be very patient with our divisions at all. He's going to tear them down. He's removing it all. All of the distinctions, all the enmity, all the dogma. That means those, those written codes and written rules. All those little... Uh, written understandings or unwritten understandings, anything that keeps us separated in a hostile way. Now, i got to say this. Obviously, God made us all very different. I mean, that's as obvious as just taking a look to your right and your left all around. God makes us very different. In the creation, he makes us male and female, but he makes both in his image. So there's difference and there is unity. But along the way, we created distinctions and divisions that God wasn't always on board with those. Some of those are just the natural effect of the life, of, of, of life in the world. You've got old, you've got young. Those are distinctions. Sometimes it's good for us to remember just how old we are or just how young we are. Okay? As you get older, you're learning that you, can't, you, you shouldn't do as much as when you were young. You might be able to do things in a different way, but you've got to be careful, too. And when you're younger, you have to realize that you know, maybe there's things that you still have to learn. Anyway, we all have these differences that come about by life. But think about the different distinctions that we tend to make. I'm going to go ahead and name them, okay? At the risk of causing more distinctions, I'm going to go ahead and name them. And I'm not worried about naming them. You know why? Because God's just going to kick them over. Ah, how's that? Old and young, elders and ministers. I've been to churches where they say, oh, the, I, I have a friend, he's a preacher, and his dad became an elder, and he said, now you've joined the dark side. You know, he's joking about it. But the idea is, is that we tend to think there's got to be some difference there, like there's Congress and the Senate, like checks and balances. These are distinctions that we've made that God doesn't support. Domestic and foreign, those far away, those, those very near. Think of all the distinctions that we keep coming up with with race, with color, with nationality, black, white, Latino, Asian. Again, there's differences. But they're, 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 when hostility grows between them, we're not even sure what terms are appropriate to use anymore. And all of that is just an embodiment of the hostility. And Christ is taking that hostility down. He's, dividing, he's tearing down those dividing walls. The differences are still there. But those differences are not a matter of hostility in Christ. They just kind of are. But wait, I haven't told you everything that God does with those differences. We'll get there. You know, we, even the things that aren't visible to us, we make distinctions. Conservatives, liberals, traditionals, non-traditionals. We have so many different distinctions you go and you get our directory just of Churches of Christ in America. And I understand that the editors of those books put things in there so that you would, you would know something about the character of every congregation. I was at a, 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 a congregation in, 
a different place, different time, and I was asked, what letter do you want out there? I said, I want C. What does that mean? That we look like Christ. That's what I want. Because I don't, I don't want all those other codes and determinations. That's not what our identity is. But they have all of these different codes about this church is like this, this church is like that, this one's like this. Well, where are we going to be satisfied? And how many letters are we going to put on the end of our name? Or can we just live with the fact that we are Christ's, that we are his church, and be done with it there because that's enough? God's not going to have a lot of favor for our dividing walls that we keep putting up because he's in the business of tearing those walls down. So, again, to bring it home, that means that all of the generations that we have here, all of the differences that we have here, all of the ministries that we have here, they exist. And let me say, you know, there's, there's got to be some of that. It just makes sense practically. I mean, we, we, we can't go to the point that we get rid of uh, King's Kids and Wagey and LFC and, and Joy Bunch and all of our three-letter, four-letter you know, words and labels. I mean, you're going to have some of that. It makes sense that people who are going through similar experiences are going to get together. That just makes sense. To be real serious. We've got to have groups that that bring people together because they're going through common experiences like our grief share that just started. If you're a part of that, then you're there to help others who are going through that. But that doesn't mean that people who haven't been through that can't love those who have. And that doesn't mean that the people who are going through a certain experience can't somehow contribute to those who haven't. In fact, it's by taking all of those differences that God works them together into something sort of like a mosaic. That's a mosaic in the background. You've got all these little tiny pieces of broken stone and broken glass. Some of them have rough edges. Some of them have smooth cut edges. Some of them are a bright color. Some of them are just a regular old average color. But each and every one of them is needed to be pieced together, fit together in just the right way so that you get a wonderful image that the creator of that image wants. And don't you know that God is taking all of us and he's fitting us together in just the way he wants us so that we will reflect his glory. So watch out for those moments when we start worrying that one ministry is getting more attention than another ministry or this group has more time in the pulpit than another group. Hey, you know what? They're all part of the same work. They're all part of the same purpose. And when we get territorial... And we start thinking that, listen, uh, we don't know that this ministry has to do with that ministry. You might want to take that up to God because I think God's got this way of fitting everything together so that even though you and I can't see the connection, he does. And he makes it all work together for his purposes. I think that that's our, our growth move, friends. I think that West Ark's growth move is to start getting into the to the, to the work with God so that we suddenly see God's big plan and we see how he makes all of this work together. And then you're going to have people thrive because they're going to say, hey, I may not be a part of that ministry, but I know how I can support that ministry. And I may be a part of this ministry, but I see how this ministry has to do with that ministry. 
And I know that, that if God works through me, I may not know all of the places where that will benefit him, but I'm going to give that all to him, and I'm going to lean on him and trust in him because I am a fellow saint. I am a member of God's household. We all got our part to play, and I'm not going to worry about anybody else's title or anybody else's role or anybody else's, you know, the way or, or, or anything else about them. I'm just going to do what I'm called to do. And when that happens... That hostility goes down so that then we stop worrying about what other people are thinking about us. We, stop, we, we don't give in anymore to the cynicism that causes us to distrust people, that causes us to look at people in such a way that we think, you know, I wonder what their agenda is. I wonder what they're up to. I wonder what it is that they're doing. We can let go of all of that because God has torn down those dividing walls. He's torn down all of that negativity and hostility. And he's given us his vision of who we are. So what? That's what. You fit into God's purposes. And I want to ask you that, um, you know, if you need to feel like you're in alignment, then go first to the cornerstone. And if you've gone to the cornerstone, and maybe there's some walls that need to be taken down between you and other people, then I'm going to ask you this. Don't let the day go by without spending some time in the hard business of reconciliation. And Jesus tells us how to do that as well. But be reconciled with God above all else, because here's the thing. I don't want anybody to leave today thinking that God is going to hold something against you when he has torn down the wall and given you a path of access straight to the Father in one spirit. And you are invited to walk down that path. Let's stand, let's sing together, let's encourage one another.